Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome on board the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm joined in the studio tonight by the Russell Crowe of Cricket Podcasts. It's Tony Kerr. Good evening. That was a- <laughs> is, that, is that your Australian accent? That's my Russell Crowe Australian accent. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm probably not in the best position to uh, criticise other people's Australian accents, but that was bad. Can you give us a bit more? No, of I kept it? it. I kept, deliberately kept it short. <laughs> I feel like if I went any further, I might embarrass you. How are you doing this week, Tone? I think I, I don't know whether we're both in the the best frame of mind for this tonight. We've we've, we've just left a small gathering of our closest friends to uh, to come up here and <laughs> it's, it's record really this sad. little podcast of us. They think we're really sad, I think. And they're probably right. <laughs> uh, we were talking about potentially doing a live recording from that gathering so we'd have a you know a studio audience. Well, I think we will yeah. do that eventually. I imagine it to be like BBC's Question Time. Uh, you know, If you're in the UK, you've probably seen Question Time. If you're outside, I'm sure there are equivalent sort of shows, but it's just a political panel are assembled. The public fire questions at them. They say stuff, and when they say stuff that the public likes, they cheer and applaud. When they say stuff that the public doesn't like, there's just no silence or very occasionally heckling, which make, is like a big event. <laughs> so you're, you're imagining that everything you say would get applause and everything that I say would be met with silence. Pretty much. It does make me laugh on Question Time, like everyone says everything finishes what they're saying in anticipation of applause and they, yeah. and they reach for the glass of water and take <laughs> a, a sip afterwards so that's kind of what i do on the show here i, I don't really want a studio audience because I, I i don't want people to sort of see how it is we actually operate because listeners may not be aware but a lot of the show i'll be talking and tony's just sat there with his hand up and <laughs> I, I won't call on him for a long time lots to talk about this week isn't there what with the spot fixing trial but, uh, but first things first, I think uh, all the listeners would like to know how you are. How, how, <laughs> how was your Halloween, Tony? Did you have a good one? Halloween? Yeah, no, it's a very good Halloween, Adam. Yeah? Did you dress up? Uh, well, I think you know the answer to that, don't you? <laughs> you wore yeah. it was, a... It was a great it's quite, it's quite a horrible colour t-shirt with some bones set up. But, I mean, that's from your standard repertoire, though. <laughs> that wasn't, like, specially bought in. It was uh, yet another of my pop culture t-shirts. It What's a, it referencing? It, it's from Spinal Tap. It's a t-shirt that he wears in Spinal Tap. Oh. It's just a black T-shirt with like okay. with a, a luminous green rib cage on it. So that's what I wore. I thought I'd put in quite a lot of effort, but then apparently everyone else had put in much more effort. Although <laughs> yeah. he's saying that, um, I, I got a lot of stick for that. I walk, you know, walked into the the party and people were like, oh, that's nice to see you've made an effort. And I felt I had actually made an effort because I was considering just not, <laughs> not even trying at all. But then I arrived with our friend Patrick, good friend of the show, Patrick, who listeners might know from the World Tennis Show. And he was wearing normal clothes, but with like a, a very small, very tacky cat mask. And people were like, that is brilliant. <laughs> that is hilarious. And people were just like, turned to me and be like, you look like an idiot. I went as a uh, zip face, I guess is what you'd call it. It's, it's basically a zip. Uh, I got a zipper from the from the haberdashery. 
which is that was a laugh in itself because I don't usually spend much time in haberdasheries. Yeah, I picked up a zip, ran it down my forehead, and I kind of split it over my nose, and then down under my shirt, and then bloodied up the the sort of middle bit. So it basically looked as though you were unzipping your face, quite right, to reveal bloody. Well, I just unzipped my skin, skin underneath. It, I saw it, and it people loved it. It, it did look alarmingly realistic it was quite terrifying I think it kind of backfired on you a little bit though because I did speak to a number of girls who said that they physically couldn't talk to you because they were so repulsed yeah kept leaving the room uh, (laughs) whenever I entered the room but uh, I was approached later on in the evening uh, in the the nightclubs I was approached by one girl who was like she was like ah I was looking at you for a minute or two and I I was just thinking like poor boy he's he's caught his face in his zip (laughs) (laughs) and I was just I don't know I was just like right I'm going home (laughs) because this is clearly not working Um, and then she she thought I was South African, so I was. I mean, I was practicing my South African accent for the show. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it worked. Uh, no. Hopefully, we'll hear some of that later on. Other things that are coming up later on today include. Uh, well, we will of course be talking about the spot fixing scandal. Um, it's the, certainly not going to talk about itself. The sentences have been handed down, so we'll be discussing that. Uh, there are a couple of big test series about to start around the world as well. Um, South Africa against Australia and India versus West Indies. Uh, and there'll be some side notes too. Tony's promised me that he has got some side notes to share with us this week. I've been quite busy, so I've been relying on you to to, to actually do some work this week. And uh, you said they're really good. That's a, that's a direct quote from you. I've got side notes and they're really good. You're not lying to me, are you? <laughs> no. I'm looking forward to those then. I think we're all looking forward to those. Yeah, I'm not lying at all. Is this, what, is this the November the 5th special? <laughs> it's, the, it's the bonfire night special. <laughs> yeah. Remember, yeah. remember. The World Cricket Show. I think that's yeah. going to be our slogan from now on. I'm sure it's going to be a, a real banger of an episode. I'm sure, sure tonight's episode will go off with a bang. There'll be some fireworks later on. <laughs> there will be fireworks. Uh, could be a sparkling episode. We're a couple of crazy guys. That's good. We've got a new element to introduce to the show this week. I've managed to get my hands on a sensor beep noise. <laughs> when I say get my hands on, I had to go to the trouble of searching on Google. I typed in download sensor beep online website <laughs> and uh, returned some hits. And if you want to swear tone, you can, because I can edit in a beep afterwards. I do feel quite liberating. I feel like my punditry could really, could really take off from here. Well, because up until now, you know, we've had to do our, all our own bleeping if, if we needed to. <laughs> had to do it live. I know you're quite tired of being kept on the leash. You know, you, you can finally give us some of your edgy humour that you're so famous for. I've seen you described in the paper as foul-mouthed funny man, Tony Kerr. That's generally how people think of you. You're a regular Frankie Boyle, a regular Roy Chubby Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Actually, at some point in every single episode, you try to tell your own version of the aristocrats joke, and you try to slip it past me, and I have to edit it out every week. You do well. I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. But now, hey, if you want to tell some of your, your blue jokes, you can. If you get particularly annoyed about the ICC, you know, you can you can let fly. We, can, we could even start doing it just really unnecessarily. Like we could, sh- we could yeah. change, change the name of Around the World to Around the f- World, <laughs> just for a laugh. Scandal. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> it's going to be every word now, yeah. listeners. You're going to have to cut all this. <laughs> it's just so much more work for me. This is the thing. It's so annoying because for you, the World Creature Show is an hour every week. You don't do any research. You just rock up, give a few opinions. Go home. You know, I have to do, I have to write the script, the script that's so tightly worded, and I have to do all the editing. And, you know, if you continue to swear, it's going to be a lot of work for me. Anyway, uh, on this item, scandal, I thought we could perhaps uh, discuss the scandal, uh, the spot-fixing scandal. That's really come to a head this week, hasn't it? The, uh, the trial in London uh, has concluded, and Salman Butt and Mohammed Asif were found guilty 
of conspiring to cheat and conspiring to receive corrupt payments. And Mohammed Amir had pleaded guilty to those charges. Mazar Majid, the agent accused of orchestrating the whole affair, had also pleaded guilty. So they were sentenced today. That's Thursday. Salman Butt received a 30-month prison sentence. Mazar Majid, a 32-month prison sentence. Mohammed Asif, a 12-month prison sentence. And Mohammed Amir, a six-month prison sentence. Bearing in mind the uh, the workings of the British penal system, they'll all be out in half of that time, I imagine. Or sooner. It didn't, hasn't Amir's been swapped to Young Offenders Institute? I believe you're yeah. right, yeah. He's, he's going to have to serve that time in a, in a Young Offenders Institute because he's not old enough. What do you think of those sentences, Tone? Do you think they seem reasonable or harsh or, or not harsh enough? What's your view? A lot of the reaction has been that you know, possibly the sentences haven't been harsh enough. But I kind of feel maybe, I don't know, is a prison sentence really just punishment for what was effectively a very minor match fixing in in sport i don't know i don't yeah, taxpayers money is gonna is gonna be going towards hosting them for a few years in a british prison and i don't know i don't I, yeah i don't think possibly prison is the would, would have been the answer i think you could certainly understand the element of the pakistani reaction which is that well how come hansi cronier and herschel gibbs you know weren't sent to jail when effectively they were conspiring to something worse which was match fixing as opposed to spot fixing and yeah and it, it also seems odd that you know they weren't even banned for life by the icc yeah they, i mean that, uh, no, i was just coming to that the yeah the icc punishment was so light and very sort of very weak compared to the, the actual the the punishment by courts a proper law court which seems seems quite harsh i don't know the two are quite mismatched well i think that's a good point i think either the icc have got this wrong and they should have I mean, the ICC probably have almost certainly got it wrong because <laughs> that's just the ICC. That's what the ICC do. Or the the Southwark Crown Court has got this wrong and they've these sentences are excessive. I mean, it, it's all just desperately sad, isn't it? Every aspect of this story is incredibly depressing from the offences themselves to the way it's been handled, I think. I'd like to say this now as a, a sort of disclaimer. You know, I do think that the guilty verdict is the right one. I think it's important that they were punished because, of course, they did something wrong, uh, something very wrong. And, you know, it, it does tarnish this sport that we all love. And no one wants to believe that not everything they see on a cricket field is is real. And if, if you can't believe that the players are giving 100% all the time, as in occasionally they're deliberately bowling nobles, then it becomes difficult to take anything seriously. I think it's particularly important to send a strong message to younger players uh, and the the sentencing of, of Amir does show that youth and naivety are not excuses. So I think that that's all fair enough and I, I, I'm not necessarily too against the, the concept of them going to prison. You could argue that Salman Buck getting two and a half years might be slightly excessive. But all that said, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with some of the coverage of this case. I don't say this in any way to exonerate them or downplay what they did but they're not murderers. They didn't kill anybody. And like reading some of the uh, the reports on it, you know, they, they say things like "butt sat stony faced" as the verdicts were read out. It's, you sort of expect them to start talking about victims' families and stuff like this. I mean, it is. I think we need to get some perspective here. That you know, while it is very upsetting what they did compared to a lot of things that are tried in that court, it's not that bad. Cheating is cheating, and it deserves to be punished. But you know, I do think some of the coverage has gone over the top. You see a lot of people come on TV and there's there's a lot of moralising going on by former England captains 
I saw Ian Botham on Sky saying that you know at the time he suspected that something was amiss when he, <laughs> when he saw the nobles being bold. He's like, well, that's simply not true, Ian, is it? And a lot of people looking back after the fact and getting very much on their high horse. Mazen Majid was was always sort of painted as a bit of a scumbag, and he does he does sound quite a sort of dodgy fellow to be, to put it lightly. Uh, but I have to say, Sam and Butt's not come out with this looking particularly good, has he? No. And um, what Mazen Majid said at the time, and what appears to have been borne out, is that it was actually Salman Butt that approached him and said, this is going on, do you want to get involved in it? Um, and I think the long sentence that they've given Butt does reflect that, yeah, he does he appear to be the this, ringleader. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm not saying at, at all that you can forgive them for what they did or accept what they did. But, you know, I'm just a bit uncomfortable with some of how it's portrayed because I do have some sympathy, not with Butt, but with Amir and Asif. I think if you're a fast bowler and your captain comes to you and asks you to overstep once or twice in exchange for large sums of money. It would be tough to say no, especially when it's such an easy thing to do. Ex-England captains and the like might say now, oh, well, of course, you'd have gone straight to the ICC and said this has happened. Maybe they would, but until you're in that situation, it's tough to really get all self-righteous about it, I think. The other thing that troubles me about this whole affair... You look look troubled. I do look troubled. I feel troubled. (laughs) When the story originally broke, you did kind of get the feeling that it was all just the tip of the iceberg. There were a lot of questions that needed answering. Was anyone else involved in in those particular events? Was it something that happened routinely? Were they not isolated incidents? Uh, Were matches ever fixed or was it just specific events in matches? It kind of sounded as though it was something that happened all the time and they just happened to get caught this time. The trial could have been seen as an opportunity to answer some of those questions and you would have hoped that in the year since the story coming out those questions would have been answered. That hasn't really happened at all. I think all the trial has actually done is to sort of pronounce the guilt of Butt and Amir and Asif but everybody knew that already. You only had to look at the footage of the nobles and the picture of Salman Butt looking at the the crease rather than at the batsman when Asif bowled them to know that they were guilty. So I'm not sure we're actually any further forward here. Those involved have been punished, but we haven't haven't taken any more steps into rooting out cheating and preventing future cheating. There's an element that people, particularly in the media, feel that there is some closure here. And I don't think there is at all. Yeah, there's a, a lot of hinting, isn't there, at, at, at sort of a wider problem. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of eyes on Pakistan cricket as a whole. And not just Pakistan. I mean, Hashan Tilakaratni went, uh, went to the ICC earlier this year and said, I, I'm, I'm going to blow the whistle on all the spot fixing and match fixing that happened in my day. And then nothing's been heard of since then. I don't feel we're necessarily any further forward than we were nine months ago. And if people think that this is the end of the story, it isn't. Do you think that these sentences might act as a deterrent? You know, if people think, oh, well, I'll go to prison for this, that it won't happen anymore. Because if that is true, then it, then it has been a useful exercise. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to imagine so. I don't know. I, I mean, even though the ICC's uh, punishments were, were fairly light, uh, relatively in that you know, a lot of people would have said lifetime bans were, were the order of the day, you'd think that would be enough deterrent because once you get to the age of like 24, 25 and you've been playing international cricket, you know, that's losing your, your, the capacity to earn money through what you're best at, probably going to be quite a big deal and you'd think would be deterrent enough. It obviously has proved not to be the case. So, you know, maybe a prison sentence is going to be enough to, to put people off entirely. At this point in time, it, it might seem like a deterrent, but will it still seem like that in three years' time? That would be my question. You know, unless other things like this start to happen, given that this wasn't the cricket authorities that uncovered this, it was a tabloid newspaper you wonder whether people will think that they're in uh, in danger of it happening to them and i still think that they might 
be prepared to risk it for the potential financial rewards. And I think that's the whole point. I think I said at the time when when it all broke, we were in danger of demonising these players and doing that, concentrating solely on the players. It was missing the point. And I think it still is. It's the culture that needs to be tackled, you know, and the you know shady agents and what have you. They're the things that need to be tackled because otherwise the players that come in to replace Amir and Asif and Butt are yeah, they're just as susceptible, susceptible yeah. to, to it happening. So yeah, you can bang them up, but if you don't change the culture, I'm not sure it's really achieving anything. So yeah, all in all, it's a depressing day for cricket, really, isn't it? Everything about it is profoundly depressing. There's one thing we love here on the World Cricket Show. It's a depressing story. It's what we're all about, isn't it? Around the world now. On this item, we talk about things that are happening around the world. Uh, there's a couple of big test series about to start on a much less depressing note than the uh, all the spot fixing stuff. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's forget about all that. Let's let's put, put that one to bed. Put all that to one side and let's talk about some cricket, shall we? The first test between South Africa and Australia starts on Wednesday the 9th of November. The three-match one-day series came to an end uh, with Australia taking the honours 2-1. The first thing that stands out about this series, I would say, Tane, is how short it is. Just two matches. Are you disappointed about that? Gutted, mate. The players are disappointed. I think as disappointed as, as anyone else. doesn't make a lot of sense, really, uh, like why this would have been decided. Well, I mean, they were obviously doing it because they're trying to cram so many things into the schedule both with um, Australia hosting India later in the season and South Africa have got other tours but also they wanted to make sure they had enough limited overs games but then they did only play three one day internationals and it's a strange one because there were really quite long gaps between those one day internationals if they played them all in the space of six or seven days they probably could have fit in another test a series between these two sides is always really exciting they're both in quite good places at the moment I think there could be some very entertaining cricket they're reasonably well matched even three tests would probably feel like a bit of a cheat you want five uh, but two is basically two a waste is a slap of time in the face isn't it yeah for everyone so yeah just the two tests but they should be exciting uh, Australia looked to be in quite a good place which is fairly unexpected considering where they were just 10 months ago they won the test series in Sri Lanka and they've got pretty good limited overs form uh, behind them coming into this series. They've got a powerful batting lineup uh, with Michael Clark and Mike Hussey, Sean Marsh now in the team. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. But uh, one potential weak link is the opening pair, Shane Watson and Philip Hughes. Um, Watson's obviously got a great average as opener. But still, um, this thing about him not scoring centuries hasn't gone away. Uh, and you do get the feeling that, that Stain and Morkel are going to fancy their chances against Phil Hughes, who's never really looked that comfortable against uh, short pitch stuff. Or anything, really. That's the one I've seen. Watson, Watson managed to get himself to 70 in the practice match. He's, as you know, one of my favourite cricketers, Shane Watson. He's always been always one of my favourite cricketers. Ever since the start. He's obviously a very, very good test match batsman. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the Australian team at all. He's one of the best batsmen in the team. But some people will still say, well, maybe you shouldn't be opener. And there is a there is a debate about that if he should drop down to number six, where the 60s, 70s, 80s that he regularly gets seem much more useful than they do at the top of the order. You know, obviously you want you'd rather have someone getting 60 or 70 than getting naught. Um, <laughs> but what you really want from a test match opener is someone who can get 150 plus. Um, I think the fortunes of Australia's bowling attack could prove decisive in this series. It's the first proper test for Trent Copeland, Nathan Lyon, 
Pat Cummins, he won't necessarily get a game, but he's someone that a lot of Australians are very excited about. Young fast bowler. Could be a landmark series for Mitchell Johnson, though, returning to the scene of uh, his best ever performances. Do you expect him to go well here? Picked up a fifer in the in the uh, in the warm-up game, so he's you know in the mood for wickets. It would seem. <laughs> uh, it's almost like the only notes you've got about this week's show are you having the the warm-up game scorecard open. I mean, on your I think laptop. that I mean that is the most important the most important thing really in all this is the warm-up game, uh, and he's got wickets, so you know he uh, he he does blow hot and cold, Mitchell Johnson, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but you think if he can't blow hot now, if he can't reproduce that form from a couple of years ago when they last toured South Africa. If he can't do it now, it surely will be time to jettison him. I mean, he got got man of the match in the warm-up game. (laughs) Did he? Yeah. Did he? You know, obviously someone thought he was doing something, right? Nine wickets in the game. In the warm-up game? Yeah. And that's in the warm-up game (laughs) against South Africa A. Okay. He got nine wickets. So yeah, a lot of pressure on the Australian bowling attack. And they will have their work cut out because uh, the South African batting does look very good on paper. It's tough to say who has the best middle order in the world right now. Certainly England, Sri Lanka and India would all have very strong claims, but you'd have to think it's tough to improve on Amla, Callis, De Villiers as a 3-4-5. Even your Trots, your Bells, your Tendulkas, your Sangakaras. It's tough to say who you drop out of those three to make room for one of those. So that's very, very powerful. But there are weaknesses in the South African batting. Graham Smith, uh, we talked about last week, is, is a bit short of form. And JP Dumini has scored basically no runs at all uh, (laughs) since that remarkable start to his career three years ago. Bearing all of that in mind, Tone, can I get a prediction from you for this series? There could be a bit of rain around. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to go... I'm going to... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Be bold and say one all. That's bold, is it? I'm going to be bold and say... That both teams will do well, yeah. and it'll be a draw. No, I think I think one all. It's a tough one to call, isn't it? And it, it with with just two tests, it's it's. It could so... be yeah, it's open because the first test could go either way. It could go either way. The second, the second test one could go, could go either way. Of... So really, it could be an Australian win. It could be a South African win. It could even be a draw. It's likely to be series. one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go for one nil South Africa, but. I'm not as confident in this prediction as I am about all my That's other It's a classic Bayford prediction, that. Tentative. The thing is, because with one all, you're giving yourself as long a time as possible <laughs> like, yeah. that people will think, oh, he could still be right. <laughs> it's true. Because if Australia win that first test, yeah, I'm still in it. You're out, though. Yeah, exactly. You're gone. The other big test series that's, uh, that's coming up is India against the West Indies. Uh, the first test starts in Delhi on Sunday. India are, of course, coming off the back of a 4-0 drubbing in England. I don't know if you remember this, Tone. 
Um, I do recall something about that. But this summer, they lost that series 4-0. Despite that, they must surely find themselves uh, much more confident than they would have expected to be at the end of that series. Uh, The one-day whitewash of England, um, the return to familiar conditions, and the fact that they're playing a, a relatively moderate West Indies team will all mean that they're they're not in the worst spirits at the moment, I wouldn't have thought. I think they'd be pretty confident. I think it's a shame for the West Indies that uh, I mean, Chris Gale's probably in India. He's, he's, that's where he spends most <laughs> of his time is, now. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, he's played a lot of cricket in India in the last couple of years. So it's a shame for, for them that he's not in the team. That would be good. You know, he'd be very comfortable, I think, in the conditions. And- They've got to sort that out, haven't they? It's reaching a point where it's beginning to look like he won't play for the West Indies again. That's just such a waste, both for the West Indies and for him. I think probably at the moment he might not be that upset about it, but at the end of his career, I think he will be. India have made plenty of changes to their squad. Harbhajan Singh's been dropped in favour of Ashwin. Virat Kohli replaces Suresh Raina. Umesh Yadav and Varun Aran replace Shreesanth and Praveen Kumar. Bit of a surprise that Praveen's been left out, I think, given that he was comfortably India's best bowler on the tour of England. So some personnel changes, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. They're certainly big favourites for the series and will will doubtless be expecting a return to normalcy. They did beat the West Indies in the Caribbean uh, just a few months ago, of course. But I do think they shouldn't underestimate their opponents, who have been in the subcontinent for a while, beat Bangladesh in a two-test series there. You'd think they'd be accustomed to the conditions by this point. And I think they're an improving team. They've got a decent bowling attack. Kamar Roach, Fidel Edwards. It could be exciting to see how Devendra Bishu gets on. Edwards and Bishu have been taking quite a lot of wickets, haven't they? Bishu got a 5 against Bangladesh. He's a thrilling prospect for the West Indies, isn't he? Young Everyone's Lord. loved Bishu ever since he started. I know, he came in and like, won immediately, one day yeah. got like two wickets and everyone was like, well, that's the spinner for the next 15 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does look very, very good and fairly at home in Test cricket. So yeah, whether he and the rest of the attack are good enough to uh, take 20 Indian wickets uh, remains to be seen. But I think this series could be a lot closer than um, some people perhaps expect. Can I get a prediction from you, Tone? Can I get an amen? Difficult to look past India at this point. What have we got? Three test series, 2-0 India. I'm going to have to change my prediction now because I was going for 2-0 yeah. India as well, oh, wow. but we can't both do that. I'm back in the West Indies to hold on for, for a draw at least in one of them. I expect all three games to be close, but I'm now, I'm going to have to say 2-1 mm. to India. I'm not, convinced that West Indies can win a game but I think I'm going to have to go for that now so come on West Indies What's this about a comedian making fun of you this week? You started telling <sighs> me about this Yeah well last night I went to a uh, charity bash <laughs> not as Tony Kerr from the World Creek Show <laughs> as you might have imagined We get a lot of invites yeah, I'm too lot. busy to go to most of them so I sent Tony a lot <laughs> uh, It was a welcome home party for a uh, family friend uh, Stuart Hardy who's just run 30 well he aimed to run 40 marathons in 40 days but he only managed 39 in 39 days so he's let himself down he's, as much as anything He's going to be running the 40th at the weekend but yeah he ran from John O'Groats, uh, right for the top of Scotland to Land's End, right down at the bottom of England. Uh, pretty impressive feat. But yeah, after the dinner, you know, there was a little, they wheeled out, uh, you know, an after dinner comedian. I don't think he's like a sort of proper, I'm still trying to make it as a full blown comedian, comedian. He's just like an after dinner comedian. Comedian. Uh, but I was unfortunately found myself sat right in front of the stage, literally front and centre. So I was basically ripe for being that guy who gets picked out in the crowd. There's quite a lot to work with, isn't there? When when a comedian looks at you, they, they've got quite a lot of material. He didn't find it though. He, he did, he go, at... did he look at you and go, "Blimey, Russell Crowe's here"? <laughs> no, he, he started with a line about the gym. He looked at me and he said, "Do you go to the gym?" And then there's some <laughs> stuff after that. Which I bet did. everyone laughed at that. Yeah, I know. Everyone immediately. But then, because he did start really well, uh, you know, his first few little routines were quite good. And I thought, here we go. 
this is this would be all right actually didn't expect this didn't expect some good comedy you know he got quite a big laugh for one joke and he cracked a gag about you know you know sort of make the most of it because the the ending's quite weak and he wasn't joking about that because <laughs> after about, about halfway through it really turned off into misery uh and i was sitting there quite stony faced at this point <laughs> so he obviously picked up on this and was like, he's like what's your name and i was like tony tony <laughs> tony sir uh, and then he was like right tony i'm gonna try and make you laugh and then he did like a whole ran off for like a whole list of really rubbish jokes which to which i had to go like pretend to laugh okay. uh yeah one of the uh one of the ladies on our table who sat to, to my side was absolutely packing up the whole time <laughs> every time he said something to me she'd be absolutely packing up and like but like tapping me on the shoulder as well as it was like that's you <laughs> didn't need that there's nothing i hate more than being picked on in that kind of situation to the extent that i will avoid going to those <laughs> sorts of things for fear of being you picked to, on. Yeah, I know. because you know you feel that in in most situations if someone starts picking on you you can sort of you'd come back at you them can them off yeah. you can them banter, but because it's that situation where firstly they've got a microphone and you don't and secondly that they're putting you on the spot in that way and are, you know they're very really used to this that there's just there's nothing you can say so like my fear is just like <laughs> what i think always happens to people is like the comedian will like make a joke about them like pick on something that, something about them and they uh, the person always responds like, hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, that's what I did. To be fair, that's generally what happens on this show as well. As I'll say something to you and you go, hey, yeah. But I cut that out, usually. <laughs> the side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the Cricketing Week. I've got an article here from the Daily Mail, that rag. It's called Steps, Steps and More Steps. Cricketer Michael Vaughan takes on the Great Wall of China. We talked about this a while back, I think, about how he was going to do this. He's actually done it now. He's done it. Yeah. You might think that a sporting hero who represented his country with such distinction would want to take life a little easier after retiring. But for all the long hours he spent at the crease steering England to cricket glory, Michael Vaughan seems to be in no mood to put his feet up. Certainly, the former England test captain and Ashes hero is still up for a physical challenge. Last month, Vaughan set off on a seven-day trip into China where he and 22 friends and family members walked, officially, some 35 kilom- 35 kilometres, that doesn't seem like very much. That's what it says, 35 like kilometres. That's like... That's some people's commute, I think, isn't it? Walked some 35 kilometres to raise money for the Sheffield Children's Hospital. Oh, I see. Officially walked some 35 kilometres. That word officially is important, because Vaughan seems to remember the distance as rather further. That's mainly because of the steps. He talks a lot about the steps. Vaughan embarked on the trip in his role as patron of a hospital that he has represented for a number of years. So far, the trek has raised over £140,000, but Vaughan says that he would like this figure to rise. The team, which included his wife Nicola, started out from Beijing and took in old and restored sections of the wall, passing through woodland, farmland and over the hills and mountains north of the capital. Vaughan's cricketing career has taken him all around the world, but not to China. He describes Beijing as, quote, very hustle and bustle, to get a mile and a half in a car takes an hour. It's that kind of place, he recalls. Recalls. I like that. <laughs> Great observation, yeah. Michael. There's a lot of traffic in Beijing, of notice. I remember that traffic, yeah. <laughs> Saying this, talking of uh, observations, on the way here in the car, I'm glad we went. Listeners should be glad we didn't save our conversation in the car for the podcast. We were just coming out with our, you know, observational humour. I was talking about haircuts, how I got my haircut today. You know, we were just, just riffing on, yeah. uh, on on what happens when you get your hair cut. Pretty desperate, really. Yeah, and then, like, they come over and, and, like, it's really awkward, like, the small talk. Yeah, what about that small talk? That like, you could... people, you know, it's really awkward. And then it's like, oh, blimey, I don't know how girls do it, eh? They've got a lot of hair. Like, when they get their hair wet, it must be annoying. 
<laughs> Must cost girls a lot of money to get their hair cut, eh? Yeah, it was pretty much it, wasn't it? It wasn't our finest moment. number of people today since I had my hair cut that have come up to me and gone, and I'm going to point now, you've had a haircut. And they don't say it looks good or anything. It's just I've noticed that you've had That's a haircut. It, although a lot of people do say, like, you look so much better. <laughs> yeah. Because like, yeah. you looked awful <laughs> before. Yeah. You really did. It's such an improvement. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when someone says to somebody, oh, you have you lost weight? And, and they go, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And they go, oh, you must have. Because you were enormous before. You <laughs> yeah. were huge. Yeah. They go, you look great. That is the implication, yeah. there, isn't it? Well done, you. Because <laughs> yeah. you looked terrible before. Yeah. You looked a mess, to be honest. <laughs> um, anyway, back to this Michael Vaughan article, which is still going on. Oh, God, uh, is it still going on? Hang on. With destinations such as India and Bangladesh already under his travel belt, it is understandable that he didn't experience culture shock. The straight-talking Vaughan describes his journey as, quote, walls and steps and hillside. It when appears straight-talking, does that mean like, is that like, is that like sort of... I think it's code for dull, to be honest. Because, <laughs> like, judging from this, it appears that his abiding memories are mainly just steps. <laughs> the, the, the one thing I wanted to say, uh, he's, he comes out with another um, uh, great comedy observation here i like chinese food but it was a bit but it was a little bit different to what i see at home it was good to experience it but vaughan's preferred holiday destination is a little closer to home portugal he also loves barbados where he has a house the vaughan's are fans of trips to london the vaughan's (laughs) the vaughan's are fans of trips to london and michael dreams of one day traveling to new york (laughs) I really like that bit. Yeah. It's like he's an eight-year-old boy. That they say, what do you want to do when you grow up, Michael? I'd like to go to New York. If that's your dream, Michael, my advice would be do it. He's retired yeah. now. He's presumably got yeah. a bit of money in the bank. He's got a house in Barbados. Not, not even far that, from New York. It? It's not even that expensive to go to New York. Maybe we should start a, an appeal here on the World Cooking Show. Start a, send a kitty. Vaughn to New York. Send Michael Vaughn to New York. We can make that dream come true, Michael. <laughs> We're all waiting breathlessly for Tony's side notes, but I'll just hit, <laughs> I'll just hit you with another one now. Uh, this is from the Daily Telegraph. Wait, the Australian. Daily Telegraph. Hold. Dumped test opener Simon Katic says he won't play for Australia while Michael Clarke is captain. Dumped Australian test opener Simon Katic has sensationally revealed he will never wear the baggy green while Michael Clarke is captain. Katic and Clarke nearly came to blows in the sheds after the 2009 Sydney test. I don't know if you remember that tone, but they got into a brawl in the dressing room. One of them didn't want to sing the song. I think it was Michael Clark didn't want to sing the victory song and Katic took issue with that. So they got in a fight. <laughs> brilliant. Um, anyway, and that moment uh, led to his international demise. The New South Wales opener said today, you don't have to be Einstein to figure out that it's not just the selectors who had a part in sending me on my way, Katic said. To be brutally honest, what happened in the dressing room a few years ago didn't help my cause. Katic did not hold back when speaking about Clark. Asked if he was resigned to the fact his days for Australia were over while Clark was in charge, Katic said, I would have thought so, because that's why I'm in this position in the first place. Katic gave selectors a spray when axed, <laughs> and said he was yet to hear a word from Cricket Australia. A silence he said was simply, rude? What do you think about that, Tone? That's <laughs> sad, you know, when two, two guys can't get on. We managed to put our differences behind yeah, us. I mean, we... Many's the time that we, we came to blows. You never uh, wanted to sing the victory song. <laughs> Sometimes after the pod, you know, when we've, when we've finished up recording, we, have, we sing a victory song. But often you don't want to do it, do you? I rarely want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you find it a bit embarrassing. And one final side note from me. This is from Crook Info. Football scores, one for you, Tone. Football scores in Pakistan. Here's a googly Pakistan cricket can do without. Football is casting its eyes on the space. All it's day. casting its eyes. <laughs> Turn into Jeremy Clarkson. 
Football is casting its eyes on the space all but abdicated by top-flight cricket in the country. <laughs> Manchester United, the world's largest football club, has signed a partnership deal with Zong, one of Pakistan's largest mobile phone companies, to supply exclusive content to its subscribers. It's a deal similar to those Manchester United has in many countries, but it's the first time top-level football has moved towards what has always been seen as a cricket and hockey country. Ten years ago, the football market was small, the game was dying, said Rizwan Akhtar, Zong's director of advertising and promotions. But over the past few years, things have changed. Every other person, especially in urban areas, is associated with one club or another. Most of the cricket fans are football followers as well, and the primary reason for the increase in the popularity of football is the demise and turmoil in cricket. What do you think about that? Worrying for cricket. Probably not going to be helped by all this stuff that's happened this week with the trial and everything. If no. cricket's on the way down in Pakistan. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy uh, not an easy time for cricket, I don't think, is it really? We could be, we, we're going to be out of a job in... I know, this is what I'm really, really worried about. It's going to be quite a sad document, actually. In maybe, you know, in a hundred years' time, historians <laughs> will look back at this. That's basically just chatting over our own demises. If historians aren't looking back at the World Cricket Show and pouring through the archives in a hundred years' time, then I think we've done something wrong. Yeah, I'd be a bit thing. worried. But yeah, whether it's, you know, looking back at a, a, a defunct sport or you know back to a sport that's still going uh, <laughs> yeah. remains to be seen but it is a bit worrying anyway this is the moment then tone time for your side notes here we go i've been looking forward to this i'm going to kick back sit back enjoy your side notes you said you've got some yeah i don't know i don't know there's a little thing kind of this thing but i don't have any side notes are you kidding <laughs> no I'll, I'll try and find one now are you actually I can kidding get some side notes you, said, you said all week you said to me i've got side notes don't worry about it the best side notes come along at the last minute. Because every week, and like I make this point, and people think that I'm joking, but it is really annoying. Like, it's genuinely quite unprofessional. I think that you come here not having done the one thing I've asked you to do. Hang on, it's just. Give what me a was second. it this week? Why couldn't you do it this week? Bodyboarding. Just went bodyboarding. Oh, I am so sick and tired of your f-ing excuses <laughs> every f-ing week. The same bullshit. You sit there with that stupid grin on your face, going, oh, I haven't got any side notes. Oh, it's really funny, isn't it funny? I haven't done any work. You really are just an absolute... Honestly, I'm fed up of it. Fed up of it, I really am. Well, after that 75-minute break between segments there, I've, I've managed to cool off. <laughs> I went for a run along the seafront, and I've come back. I've cleared my head. Time to wrap up this edition of the World Cricket Show. It's probably your last chance to get your hands on a free World Cricket Show badge. I haven't got that many left. They're, I was going to say they're selling like hotcakes, but no money is being exchanged. <laughs> yeah. so. they're basically, they're flying off the shelves like hotcakes. People can't get enough of them. Um, so what you have to do to get one of those is essentially tell as many people about the World Cricket Show as you can. Don't. Probably the best way to do that is to put it as your Facebook status, maybe link to the Facebook page or the iTunes. Uh, and if you send us a, a screenshot of that, um, we'll send you a badge. Alternatively, if you're not on Facebook, we know you are on Facebook. All the cool kids are on Facebook. But if you're not, uh, you can send an email to lots of people with the link and um, BCC us in. If you can't be bothered to do any of that, but you'd still like some free stuff from us, uh, you can get some World Cricket Show stickers by just asking for them. Send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricketshow. Click the like button. If you wouldn't mind, you can see the the photos and the videos 
that we've got up there. Follow us on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash cricket show. You can read my thoughts on a semi-daily basis. Can you imagine the thrill? Uh, I can't. I mean, it's mostly just you interacting with people pretending to be characters from the West Wing. <laughs> it's, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Or it's long conversations between me and London correspondent Gordon McRae about the West Wing. Uh, yeah, that's so, mostly it. But that's you- <laughs> interesting. You know, that's entertaining. And, that's entertain- and that counts for entertainment in the 21st century. That is for entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing you could do is uh, is find us on iTunes and leave a re- and leave a review for us there. We've had quite a few new ones lately in the various iTunes stores around the world. So big props to everyone that's done that. We do really appreciate it. And that's about it. I think we'll be back next week. Are we going to go back now and rejoin this this social event that we? I think there? we are. We're going to pick it up. Where, I mean, they presumably would have just been sort of silent for most of the time we've been away. They wouldn't really know. <laughs> with the life and soul. <laughs> Probably there. <they're laughs> I wonder what those guys are talking about on the podcast. Yeah, they're like, oh, I wonder, why couldn't they let us like watch? Perhaps you know we might repeat the uh, repeat some of the bigger points from the betting the betting scandal sort of fall out the, the discussion we've just had. We'll sort of preach. I'm just getting my shoes on here. We're still, <laughs> we're still talking. I'm just getting ready to I don't go. Know why you're taking them off, really. <laughs> anyway, let's go. Bye, yeah. everybody. See you next week. Scrambling around trying to find some side notes, but well, no, that you need to not have any because then that's where the, the joke comes in, mate. Remember? Yeah. Remember this? It's oh really no! Nice. No! What? I just closed my window. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I don't really have any Halloween costumes though. That's that's the the major problem. That no, I've I don't. Got. Like, people generally don't until they either build one or buy one. So yeah, I'm just fundamentally no too lazy to do anything about that. I don't really have any fancy dress outfits at all. I, I have another pop culture t-shirt, which is just the t-shirt that Charlie Brown wears. So I could, I suppose, fashion some sort of Halloween costume. It comes like a zombie yeah. Charlie Brown. But that's quite a distressing image, though, isn't it? I'm not sure I'd really want to do that. Uh, you know, if People look at you and they go, that's a canny fellow. Yeah. No comedy here. <laughs> It's like, it's like the quietest door. It goes like, shh, what is it? Like, shh. And then he's like, <laughs> it's like the least dramatic. Can I slam it? No, it won't slam. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.